So last week, we talked about, and this is so critical, I, I can't always emphasize enough, we have to get this not only correct theologically, we have to get it in our souls, in our hearts, in our minds. The identity of this man, not only does it pertain to our eternal life, but it also has equally everything to do with the life that we have now and the quality or the kind of eternal life that we will have forever. Because remember, Jesus says there are going to be levels of rewards and levels of responsibility. So ain't everybody just going into heaven saved. You're, I'm sorry, we're all going into heaven saved. But it, not everyone is going to have the same functions and status and so on. Do, we do understand that, don't we? Remember that? And so it's so essential. This life is but the preparation for our real life with God which is fully revealed and experienced when Jesus returns. Correct? This life is all about that preparation by the Spirit. So we will be forever with the Lord, functioning and fellowshipping as his family. And the critical basis of this is who is this man? And so we're going to go through a lot of things that you've already heard about. And as I said last week, when we read these scriptures, you know, okay, in the beginning was the word and word. Okay, no. When we read the scriptures, allow the Holy Spirit to imbue you and imbue me with the amazing revelation. You think... When these scriptures were written, people had never seen these things, had never heard this. And on time, all of a sudden, you hear, that man is the fullness of God's deity. Oh, my word. That's big, isn't it? But when we read something like that from Colossians, oh, okay, I know that. So let's stop that kind of a thing and ask the Holy Spirit, every time I read your word, Amaze me. Amen. Amaze me. Amaze me. Grip me. Fill me. If I don't go any further this morning, I want us to have that. Why? I, I, the Holy Spirit wants us to have that. So we said that the primary issue about Jesus is his personal identity. He has a twin identity. Do you remember what it was? He is at the same time, simultaneously and fully, at the same time, simultaneously and fully, in perfect unity of cooperation and of oneness of will. He is the Son of God and He is the Son of Man. Do we see hear that? Some of you weren't here last week. You really just need to go back and get that. These, this identity is the single most important revelation about this man. The cross would not have happened without this identity. The revelation 
I mean, a resurrection would not have happened apart from either one, the Son of Man or the Son of God. Either, either one, even being diminished a minuscule, this would not have happened, the cross and the resurrection. But more than that, had the identity of this man been reduced, even a minuscule, there would have been no creation at all. Did you hear that, Jody? There would have been no creation at all. It's not so much that, oh, if Jesus hadn't come here, we wouldn't have any hope. If Jesus hadn't come here, Mary, we wouldn't be here. Are we getting this? Do we see the unfathomable riches and singular significance of who this man is? Amen? Do you? I mean, you can respond to me. I need to know whether you're getting this. We want to see this man as much as we can for who he is. And when God wrote these words, Barashit bara Elohim, in the beginning, God. And then the word created. God committed himself to the coming of his son to redeem that which would fall so that that which would fall would be according to and in the image of his own son rather than just something created of the natural. So let's go ahead. I'm just beginning and it's the clock is wrong. It's not quarter after eight. Hey, Brenda. So glad you're getting better. Brenda said she's hoping to come back to us. Amen. That's right. And Brenda, you better be ready because when you come back, we're going to have to hear a speech. Five words, that's all we want. So this means that what a person believes about Jesus determines his eternal destiny. How many of us take this in a lackadaisical way? You know, we're kind of easy with this, right, AJ? You know, too often. We're kind of easy with this, huh? This is critical. Listen to what John 20, 31 says. These things that I've written, all the, the rest of the book of John, written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That has to do with the Son of Man. The Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name, in his true identity. Do we see this? So again, notice that John places the burden upon believing the twin truths about Jesus, that he, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. The word Christ in the Greek is what? Christos. It's in the Greek. It's the word Christos. And it's the translation from the Hebrew, Mashiach. Some of you have heard Hamashiach. You've heard of that, Mashiach, which is the English word of Messiah. So you see, the Hebrew is Mashiach, into the Greek is Christos, and that's where we get the word Christ. It means Messiah. Messiah is the noun of the verb, which has to do with anointing, pouring upon the head of a priest or a king or a prophet the oil that signified 
physically, outwardly, dramatically, that God has placed his specific consecration or anointing or calling or gifting upon this particular person. That's what that's all about. And very often in the Old Testament, the work of the Holy Spirit and the oil that signifies the work of the Holy Spirit are synonymous. And so in the, whole, in the Old Testament, the pouring on of oil is the anointing. So when David is crowned king, he is, oil is poured on him. When Moses anoints Aaron to be the high priest, what happens? He pours, not a little drip, he pours oil on him. And so oil was poured on these by the will of God to indicate that these were God's particular men raised up for the particular purpose of serving God. So in the case of Jesus, do you remember? Acts 10, 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. When? When? God poured, if you would, on this man oil of anointing to say, this is my man. But this my man is absolutely unique from all the other men. When did he get anointed? And John baptized Jesus and Jesus came up from the water, remember, in Matthew 3. And what happened? The, the what? The Holy Spirit has a what? Dove. The Holy Spirit as a dove did what? I like you. You remember his name? Edward. Anointed Jesus. Poured oil, poured the Holy Spirit on Jesus. And at that moment, he was the Mashiach. The Mashiach, the Christ, the anointed one. Chosen by God. With authority. With ministry, with power. All that God would have him to do. Although Jesus did not directly refer to himself as Christ. He didn't refer to himself directly as Messiah Christ. He did refer to himself. What was his most popular personal title? We learned this in the Gospel of Matthew. What? Son of Man. The Son of Man. Jesus refers to himself regularly as the Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man. And so he describes his messianic ministry as giving himself or taking unto himself the Old Testament title of the Son of Man. And you see that mostly in the book of Ezekiel. And so what we have here is as his identity as the Son of Man, Jesus is the Messiah. Do we see that? The Messiah is the identity or the work of the human nature of Jesus. Are we following me today? Messiah is the ministry or the work of the human nature of Jesus. He is the Son of Man. But remember what we said. Both identities function, settle, or re resident in him fully and simultaneously and in unity. 
So he cannot be the son of man and be the Messiah if he's not also the son of God. He cannot be the son of God if he's not the Messiah, the son of man. Are we following me on this? So don't make a, there, there is a separation and a distinction, but we can't make a separation. Unity means what? They both function as one. Therefore, Jesus is supreme. Why? Because he is both the son of man and the son of God at the same time. This means that Jesus possesses two natures simultaneously. He possessed the divine nature of the Son of God. And he also possessed the human nature as the Son of Man. Now, has anybody ever lived upon the earth who had two natures? Anybody? No. You need to say no real quick. No. Everybody has but one nature. Now, I know some of you think that <laughs> what I've seen, this one is at nature day and then tomorrow. No, we have one nature. That nature may function in a different way than it should, but we have one nature. So this, this combination, sorry, this unity of two natures theologically is called the hypostatic union. And I only put that in there. So if you ever run across that or hear about that or whatever, it won't be on the final exam. The hypostatic union. It is a Greek term, won't go into the details, that just has to do with the, the union of the divine and the human in one person. So in this one man, we have fully divine nature and fully human nature. Now, can we explain this? Not very well. Does it even make logical, natural, normal sense? Does it really? Yes or no? It doesn't. <clears throat> there is no religious system upon the earth that even begins to get near this. This is completely and utterly unique of all the teachings of all the religions upon the earth. And why do I emphasize this? Why is it so unique? Why is it... To be absolutely unique among all the religions of the world. Why? Why? Come on, someone give me the answer. I think it's because in most religions, God is never to be close to human beings. So let me give you to you in one word what you said. Okay. Truth. Annie, why isn't it this way in other religions? Because this is the truth and they're not. I mean, can I be blunt? You see, we don't have to tippy-toe around the tulips with other people's beliefs. We may have to be polite or kind or, or careful, but we don't tippy-toe around the tulips. Hey, Liz and Lloyd, good morning to have the Hawkins here this morning. We don't tippy-toe around the tulips, Renee. The reason our faith is so unique and different is only one reason. What does it mark? It is the truth which means every other is a lie if you ever read first john he'll tell you if you don't believe this you're a liar <laughs> you're a liar john jesus in 8 844 john told the pharisees what 
You're of your father. He's a liar. You're a liar. He was a liar from the beginning. See, these men of God are not afraid to call lies lies and call truth truth. There's an absolute demarcation, distinction. Kenneth, we believe what we believe because it is the truth. Every other system of religion or function or philosophy is a what? Lie. And it doesn't matter even if there are 20% truths in it. The whole thing, Angel, is a lie. The whole thing is a lie. Even if it contains some things that look like what? Truth. What does it mean? Come on, class. What? It's a lie. Why do I emphasize this? Because the world is trying to, is, is actually manipulating this. Satan is manipulating this and wanting us to be as believers to be, begin to be compromising and more understanding and more inclusive. May I say this about that? And I'm not trying to be funny. To hell with it. No, I mean that. Let it go to hell where it belongs. It is from hell. These are doctrines of demons. Are you with me, Ronnie? Where am I in my notes? Oh, hypostatic union. For those of you listening out there, sorry about that. That's what you get when you have an old person. God is fully, sorry, Jesus is fully God and fully and perfectly man at the same time. <clears throat> Why do I take time with this? How many of you years ago, See, I don't say it now. I don't know what happens today. There's no telling. When your children were growing up, how many of you have had children in your family that, you know, they had to grow up in your family? Well, how many of you raised children? Yeah, most of us. And it came to the arithmetic. Don't you love the multiplication tables? Do you know what they are? Haddon has them memorized. He could stand here and I could ask this and that and the other. He could do it just like that. But we won't do it today. <laughs> and how many of you just said, look, little sweetheart, your little daughter, your little son, whatever. Little sweetheart, read this a couple of times and that's all you need to do. How many of you did that? How many of you insisted on over and over and over repeatedly, continually going through this? How many of you did that? How many of you did it yourselves? <laughs> Why? Because the entire system of mathematics, at least in those days, no telling what today, was based on it. Now, today, I don't know what exists out there. That's why we emphasize this. These are the foundation blocks of our faith. Thus, Jesus' twin identity. What do I mean by twin identity? He is both the son of God and the son of man. What is his twin identity? He is both the son of God and the son of man in one person. These two natures abide in him fully cooperatively, simultaneously, in unity, accomplishing the one will of God called the hypostatic union.
Thus, Jesus' twin identity is the centerpiece. Is this in your notes? Hmm? <clears throat> is the centerpiece of God's work to redeem and deliver his people. Actually, it's the centerpiece of creation itself, but I've already said that a few times. It's the centerpiece of God's work to redeem us, deliver us from our sin. Remember Matthew one twenty one, call his name Jesus because he will deliver his people from their sin and from the authority of Satan. Remember Colossians one thirteen, Having delivered us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. You ought to know these scriptures. You just have to know them. You have to know them. So what is the significance of the hypostatic union? Is this paragraph in your notes? As the son of God, the justice of God is fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. Who, as the son of man, suffers the penalty of death for the sin of his people. Do you see the significance, Linda? If he's not the son of God, the justice of God has not been assuaged because of the eternal nature of God. Has not been paid for, had not been poured out. If he's not the son of man, he cannot at all pay anything of the penalty of sin. And he does this not only is because he's both natures fully, but as a man, he is without sin. Do we see the distinction? I want you to know the necessity and the function of each nature in Jesus. It matters. And if your child comes home and says, does it really matter that I know all these multiplication tables? What would you tell them, A.J.? Yeah, A.J. said, I don't know them, but they need to. That's what he said. <laughs> that was a translation of what he said. Darlene will agree with that. I don't know the meter. You know how much I have forgotten of those things. I don't, I can't forget it. This means that Jesus twin identity is necessary. What word did I just say? Charles is what necessary. Carolyn, what word did I say? Necessary. Bridget. Necessary. Donna. Necessary. Jackie, say it. I can't hear you, girl. One more, like you're upset with Angel. <gasps> Necessary. I'm not going to ask Jean to say it loud. Let me tell you, her voice can fill the house. Mahaney, is it what? Necessary. 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 Are we getting it? Are we getting it? This means that Jesus twin identity. See, this is a classroom. If we don't do it this way, you go out of here. Oh, man, I love the teaching, whatever. What do we talk about? Uh, mm, uh, uh. But this way, over and over and in and out and all that, you leave here and say, man, I did not. You begin to get it. As a teacher, I have to go back, back and forth, in and out and all around continually. You've noticed that with your own children, haven't you? How many times have I told you to do this? This means that Jesus' twin identity is necessary for God's justice to be satisfied by a man who represents his guilty people as their divine substitute on the cross. 
There are certain paragraphs in these notes that are hugely significant to our understanding of this Christian faith of ours. This is central. Joe, this is not just something, oh, well, that was a nice. This is central. This is a kernel, you know what I mean? The kerygma, rather, the, the, the centerpiece of God's way of redeeming his people. This means that Jesus' twin identity is necessary for God's justice to be satisfied by a man who represents his guilty people as the divine substitute at the cross. We see son of man and son of God in that statement. Romans 5, 17. For if by the transgression of the one, who is that? Adam. Death reigned through one man, Adam. Much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. You see, to believe this about Jesus is eternal life. You can hear a lot of the same thing in the sermon this morning. I'm thinking, Lord, why did you put these two together? Some of my students are slow. Look, I know I go over this and over it and under it and back and forth. It, it, it just takes a while to, for me to hear clearly the crafting of the Holy Spirit of a lesson. Did you notice what I didn't say? It takes me a while to put together a lesson to make it. Oh, on all that. It takes a while for me to hear clearly and understandably the Holy Spirit's crafting of his lesson. It's not mine. If any of you get anything out of anything that is said, the Holy Spirit ministered to me through you today is the way you put it. Amen. Don't start the subject with you. Start the subject with God. To reject this about Jesus is eternal death. See, the scriptures affirm this twin identity. Look at John says in 1.14. And what? The divine word, the word, the divine word. Remember John 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and word was God. The divine word, what? What does it say? The divine word, what? Became what? Human. Human. You see it right away. The divine word, son of God, became the son of man. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we what? We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth. Now, next week, I think we'll get to it next week. We want to talk about that word begotten, extremely significant. And very misused and misunderstood by many. We just have to do a little Greek in here occasionally. Mark begins it this way. How does Mark begin to talk about this twin identity? Here's the first sentence of the gospel of Mark. You should know it. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just in case you don't know who Jesus Christ is. The son of God. Right away. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Son of man. This man that we see, this man whom we hear, touch, talk to, walk around with, the Son of God. Mark affirms immediately the twin identity. Colossians 1.13. Well, I've already said this. 
about he has transferred, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. If there is any diminution, you know what word diminution means? Diminishing. If there is any diminution at all to any degree of either nature in Jesus, he isn't who he said he is. He's not more man than God. He's not more God than man. This is an absolute perfect unity of fullness of both in one man. I know we struggle with that. How can he do that? You know, why could Jesus rescue us? Colossians 2, 9, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in what? In a man, in bodily form. Deity, humanity, son of God, son of man. You see, once you begin to see this, what? Then you realize, hey, this is all over the place. This is not just an isolated doctrine that Peter Davidson came up with to have something to say. This is all over the place, Pharaoh. And any time we preach the gospel, we must, M-U-S-T, emphasize at some place, to some extent, the twin identity of this man. It may be in a particular sermon that one aspect of his identity needs to be um, emphasized because of whatever the nature of the sermon is. But there must be both talked about at some point. Otherwise, we throw everything off balance. In verse 15, Colossians 1.15, he is the what? Image. Remember Image. Genesis one twenty six. let us make man in our image. He is the image of the invisible God. He, who he? This man that you saw, this son of man, he's God. I hope this is opening our spiritual eyes this morning to something very large and maybe more so than we've seen before. Hebrews 1.3, he is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God's nature. Right? And I actually knew this this morning. We're not going to get to a little outline of Hebrews today. Well, I knew it. I, you know, I just sat there and I felt the Holy Spirit say, Hebrews next week. What we're going to do next week is look at Hebrews as probably the quintessential example of the significance of either rejecting or receiving the twin identity of this man. We're going to see that. We're going to go through it, you know, rather briefly. We're not going to go into any details. And then we're going to begin to talk about the revelation of this son beginning in the Old Testament culminating in the new, correct? Why? We need to know not only the facts of our faith, but we need to know the proof of our faith from the Word of God. Thank you for coming.